listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here and welcome to another episode. So today we're going to be talking about a very, very important topic, which is lending. So as always, I've got Jenny Bayless with me. Jenny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Um, I mean, you and I talk about lending all the time with our clients and just between us. And as we analyze deals, we're always checking interest rates and different down payment options as we're running deals back and forth. Uh, I mean, before we introduce our guest here, why is lending so important? And why is it so important that people do it early on in the process? From like that one minute, because you put deals together, why do we need to have this piece in place? So I think one of the main benefits that people recognize in real estate is the power of being able to leverage. And in most cases, that's going to be 75 to 80% of your ability to purchase a real estate asset. So with having such a, a giant pull on how this is going to go, I think it's incredibly important to have your lending lined up before even looking at properties. Um, it's just one of those things that it, it's a little bit cumbersome, but uh, Joe and Catherine are going to break that down for us a little bit. But it, it's just something that we you know, really need to get our ducks in a row before we start shopping. Yes. And so let's introduce our guests, because often you know, people talk to us first as agents and they start asking us lending questions and we know some you know, high level basic stuff. And so it's like, hey, go talk to Joe and Catherine. So we have Joe Massey and Catherine Gutierrez from Castle and Cook. How's it going, guys? Good morning. It's great to see you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks, guys. So I know, Joe, I think everyone on our podcast is familiar with you. You've been in some of our books, quite a few podcasts. Catherine, I know you've been working with Joe for a number of years. And now about a year ago, you moved down to help open up the Colorado Springs office, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I've been with Joe under his wing for about, it'll be four years in December. So, you know, handful of years. And then, yeah, I made the move um, to move to the Springs this past March. So feels like a year ago. It's only been a handful of months, but, you know, crazy times, crazy measures. But yeah, we have a little satellite office down there working with Jenny. Um, so we're going to conquer the Southern Colorado area and see what we could do, do down there. Yes. And so this is why we wanted all four from the podcast together, because there's a ton of crossover between Denver and the Springs and just tons of interactions back and forth. Um, so glad to have you guys on here. So what we're going to do today is Jenny has a list of questions and we're going to, I think, just kind of fire around them. Right, Jenny? Yeah, that's the plan. Are All right. Ready? I hope you don't stump me with anything. It's uh, <laughs> I, I didn't see the list of questions. My people didn't approve this ahead of time. So yeah. what happens if my phone a friend is Joe? Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what do you got? What do, what do your listeners want to know? I, I know this is a big topic. Um, what are the, the highlights that we can start with? So I think really the first one that I'd like to ask you guys is, can you guys give a basic overview of loans that investors can utilize? Because I know that we get a lot of questions regarding hard money loans, private financing, and then more specifically mortgage loans. Can you dive into those a little bit? Absolutely. I'm happy to do that. So, you know, there are a number of different loans out there. Let's just hit on the first one or the last one you said, private financing. That's exactly what it sounds like. It is private. It is somebody like uh, Chris. Right, I go to Chris and say, "Hey, Chris, I want to borrow three hundred thousand dollars to buy a property." Chris, would you give me that loan? No, 
Okay. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> he might, um, but right there, it's that simple, right? It's an individual making a decision. Yes, I'm going to give you that loan. No, I'm not going to give you that loan. Now, what if he says, yes, um, Chris, interest rates are 3% in the market. Um, let's say you will give me the loan. What interest rate do you want? Uh, well, typically, are you looking for, is this a one-year construction loan or is this a 30-year finance loan? Exactly. All these things come into play that I'm dealing with an individual and he's going to make decisions on what type of loan he's going to lend to me, what type of interest rate he's going to give me, when he wants to be paid back, all sorts of these determining factors that are just simply between me and one other person. Now, Chris, if I come to you and say, hey, I want a $300,000 loan, but you say, hey, Joe, I only have $100,000. Can you give me that loan? Yeah, as long as we agree to it, we can still make it work. But if I need 300 and you only have 100? Oh, no. I can give you part of the loan. That's right. But I'm assuming that you'll go out and talk to uh, my two brothers and get $100,000 from each of them as well. Exactly. So what I'm getting at is hard or private financing is going to be private from another individual. And it's the Wild West. All bets are off, right? Chris can charge me whatever interest rate I want. He can loan me whatever he wants. He may tell me no. He may tell me yes. It's the Wild West. That's going to be your most liberal and, uh, I don't know, different approach. And I'll, I'll jump in here, too, because we've got, I've got friends, I mean, they, they utilize private money, but they're usually for like six to 18-month projects. Yeah, because you they, might want to be paid back relatively quickly, yeah. right? I mean, I, you know, very few, you know, you know, wealthy individuals that can loan out $300,000, they don't want to loan you out $300,000 at 2.75% over 30 years. Right. Now, what we're seeing is, yeah, an individual will loan you 8%. For six to 18 months, so you can usually buy a property, rehab it, renovate it, and then maybe take it out to longer term financing. Or flip it. Yeah, or flip it. Yep. Yep. So private financing is going to be kind of the loosest and basically no rules. Then you're going to have a hard money loan. Now, there's a number of hard money lenders in town. You guys know some great ones. Catherine and I know some great ones. They're going to be a little bit more structured. It's generally going to be a company that they're going to charge you know, a couple of points up front. They're going to give you a loan for three months, six months, 12 months, um, and they're going to charge a little bit of a higher interest rate. But they might give you some options like um, helping you finance your renovation costs. They might give you some options like helping you finance uh, the acquisition and closing costs of the transaction. That's going to be really popular for flippers, going to be really popular for people purchasing a distressed property. And by distressed, you know, traditionally we think of a foreclosure or short sale, but it might be somebody that's selling a property that's an estate that's got a lot of damage, or maybe you've got structural damage, or maybe you've got one issue or another with the property that it won't qualify for regular conventional financing. So that's going to be kind of middle of the road. So you've got a property, you've got private money, super loosey-goose, we can kind of do whatever we want. Hard money is going to be a little bit more structured from an individual hard money lender. And then what Catherine and I do, which is going to be conventional financing, FHA, VA, conventional loans. So FHA and VA are going to be used for your primary residence only, right? Absolutely. Yep. You have to live there. Yep. And then beyond that, you could do conventional for an investment property. If you're purchasing a property that someone's going to rent out, you know, you can do that with 15, 20, 25% down. And we do those on all, you know, 15 or 30 year fixed rate terms. And then we also have a lot of our clients that do house hacking, um, which I know we've got a book out on that. We have a lot of podcasts and information about that. A conventional loan for an uh, a primary resident could be as little as that three or 5% down, depending on their qualifications. So Lots of different options out there, but I'd say 95% of transactions fall under conventional, uh, regular 30-year fixed financing. What would you say, Catherine? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's just a little tricky if you're right off the bat trying to invest, looking into hard money or private financing. But again, it's there. We have classes, we have contacts that could educate you on those. But again, traditionally, 
people just want to go for the quote unquote normal financing. Absolutely. Can you guys maybe? Oh, I was just going to say, can you guys maybe go into a little bit um, regarding some of the more nuanced uh, techniques that investors could utilize regarding their financing, such as delayed financing, uh, cash out refinance, rate and term refi? Yeah. Yeah. Delayed financing is paying cash for a property and then taking the cash back out of that transaction in less than six months. And a rate and term loan is simply uh, paying off an existing loan that you have on the property. And the only thing you're changing are the rate and the term of the loan. And cash out transaction is uh, taking cash out of a property that you've owned for a period of time. And that property is gained equity. And then you're taking cash back out of that to purchase another property. And can we can we talk about delayed financing for a bit? Because I think a lot of people are with rate and term and cash out refinancing. But when we often talk about delayed financing as a potential option for some our investors who got enough cash or, or a HELOC and they want to buy a property, but then of course, you know, they want to have the speed of cash. So we've had clients go out there, they buy property cash, and then, you know, the day after they close, they turn around and talk to you. Mm-hmm. Can you give through a more specific nuanced example? Because we use all the time with, you know, these three-bedroom, two-bathroom condos we buy here in Aurora. Mm-hmm. Jenny's doing similar stuff down in the Springs, you know, a lot of the, you know, condos and townhomes doing that same thing. Walk us through an example so people understand that, please. Sure. So the number one thing you want to know about delayed financing, this is the number one way that I see investors uh, foul up their financing. And what I mean by that is they purchased a property with quote unquote, if you're, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm doing the air quotes with cash quote unquote, and then they don't run it by us first. And then they call up after they've closed in the transaction. They're like, Hey Joe, I want my cash back out. I'm like, okay, great. Well, let's talk about it. Um, where did the cash come from? Well, my mom gave it to me. Um, and then we bought this property and now we want to get her cash back. I'm like, okay, so did you pay cash for it or did your mom pay cash for it? And then all of a sudden, you've got all these little nuances that we find out. Um, maybe it wasn't actually the investor who paid cash. So here's how it works. Chris, you're buying a property. You want to pay cash for it. Great. I have to verify that it's your cash or it's your home equity line of credit. You purchase uh, you know, 123 Main Street, and then we're able to verify it was your money. You took title in your own name, um, and now you've renovated the property. And we can help you refinance that up to 75% of the new appraised value, not to exceed how much you paid for the property. So if you paid $100,000, you've put $50,000 into it, and now that property is worth $200,000, I can give you a new loan for $100,000 because that's the cash that you paid for that property. Now, where people will get tripped up is they're wanting to get back that full 150000 That's not what you paid cash for the property. That's money that you've invested. If you want to take that cash back out, you do have to wait that minimum six months. Um, the other place that I see people get tripped up is they and buy- sorry, that six months then goes from delayed financing to doing a cash, cash out refinance. Yep. So delayed financing is exactly that. It's just financing for your purchase that's delayed until after the purchase date. Yep. So you hit the nail on the head. Where I see people get tripped up is they don't call us before they do this. They buy a property and then they're like, okay, I want to get my cash back out. And then they call up and man, they made some errors two months prior, you know, that it wasn't their cash. They didn't set the transaction up properly. So if this is a strategy you're thinking about doing, number one, uh, make sure you have some cash. And then number two, give us a call before you close on it, because trying to unwind it after you've already purchased the property can be a big challenge versus just setting up properly the first time. Is that something you guys are seeing as more and more popular uh, way of purchasing properties? 
Well, I think due to the competitiveness, at least down here, it would definitely give our investors an edge to be able to utilize cash on the front end to secure the property. And then of course, taking advantage of, of leverage on the back end. So that, that was really helpful. Thank you for explaining that. Sure. Everyone. Absolutely. And, the, and, and can, the, oh, are you going to change the topic? Nope. Oh, go ahead. All right. I was just going to ask if you guys could um, maybe go into a little bit of detail regarding rates on investor loan versus the uh, owner-occupied loans that you guys just described. Um, not in specifics, no, because I don't know when the audience is going to be watching this. Um, but investment <laughs> transactions are generally going to be half to three quarters of a percent uh, higher than a primary residence loan. And is that uh, ratio difference pretty consistent throughout the years? Is that something that we can, you know, kind of expect the, the margin to be? Uh, in the past, yes, but uh, kind of like what you see on all your investments, uh, past results do not guarantee any uh, future, uh, you know, transactions. Um, so it may or may not change in the future. You know, the spread between uh, primary residence and investment property uh, has always varied. And, you know, that half to three quarters of a percent is true today. It was true last year, but it may not be true in the future. Um, and there are some times where you'll see that spread could widen as much as 2%. Um, so it does just depend. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I, I want to loop back around to one more thing, talking about delayed finance, because there are benefits on there. Yeah. But uh, on that same talk, because, you know, for clients that have the cash to do that, hey, they can spend 200000 to go buy an investment property in, in the Springs. And I think Jenny has one or two clients doing that right now. It's a great option. But uh, a lot of investors don't have that amount of cash sitting around. Mm -hmm. um, where does doing a rushed appraisal fit in? Because this is something that we do more often than we do the delayed financing. Yeah. So I want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth so you guys can describe it. <laughs> yeah, this is the route, if you're listening to this, um, this is the route that I would recommend over delayed financing probably 90% of the time. Um, it's real simple. One of the things that you're going to have to get as a part of your transaction is a new appraisal. An investment property appraisal costs... Um, 700 bucks. Exactly. So I mean, just again, just be prepared, budget it, and it's not a million dollars, but it is sometimes a shock, 700 bucks needs to come out of your pocket. That's right. And that's for a normal, you know, 28, 30 day closing. We pay $700 for the appraisal. We'll have it back within about two weeks while you're completing your inspection, et cetera. Also here at Castle & Cook, we offer an eight day closing service. Now we can close your transaction eight days from the day you apply with us until the day you close. It's the fastest available by law because when you sign your application, there's a seven day cooling off period by mm -hmm. law before you can close. As far as I know, we're the only lender in Colorado that offers that service. The only catch is you've got to pay double for the appraisal in order to guarantee that it'll be back within three days. So instead of paying $700, you're paying $1,400 for the appraisal. Now, a lot of people say, oh man, $1,400, I don't want to pay that for an appraisal. I'll just wait the 30 days. Okay, you can wait the 30 days, um, but it, does your seller want to wait the 30 days? If your seller has three or four or five other offers, um, maybe they want to close in 10 days. And so you can pay for a rush appraisal, pay an additional 700 bucks, and then that gives you the opportunity to get the property under contract, the opportunity to purchase and close on it. Meanwhile, if you don't want to pay that 700 bucks, you might be competing with four, five, six, seven, ten 10 other offers. Um, so this is a strategy that my most serious investors use frequently to get properties under contract uh, and purchase a, a property and eliminate and cut through a lot of the clutter uh, of that competitive market. And I can tell you, I've used it for uh, the last property I bought. Uh, we rushed that appraisal and then we do it a lot for our clients and it, it, it makes a difference. It helps us win. And that in my mind, at $7, 
is is insignificant in the long run. I'd rather, I'd rather pay $700 and get the property versus miss out. Five years from now, you won't remember that you paid $700 <laughs> extra dollars for the appraisal. But Dude, you, do you know what you will remember? That yeah. your property has gone up in value by 40%. Exactly. <laughs> and and one other thing on this, because um, this is something you'd mentioned to me, and actually I want to clarify. So you said, you know, the... You know, the, the thing with the rushed appraisal is, hey, if we go under contract, we're often doing the appraisal and the inspection simultaneously. Yeah. And the inspection is the most common time for a deal to blow up. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, we're doing the appraisal, we do the inspection. You know, day zero, we order them. Day four, inspection blows the deal apart, but we're still doing the appraisal. Mm-hmm. Aren't you able to credit some of that money towards the next appraisal? Or you mentioned something in the past yeah. about this. Yeah. So if, if, you know, the client has to pay the, the appraisal, yeah. I, can't, I can't pay that by law. Yes. You know, I can't pay for that. But if the client, if this transaction falls out, we find structural issues, holy cow, we don't want to buy it, but we've already got the appraisal back. Hey, I'm sorry, Mr. Client, your $1,400 is, is gone. We have to pay the appraiser. But when you come back and now you're buying property number two, because we're canceling on property number one, when you come back on property number two, I can offer you a credit of $1,400 towards your closing costs, all right, to reimburse you for that appraisal that you've already paid. Now, the law says that I can't pay for your appraisal, but I could pay for other items um, if you've had uh, you know, transaction costs sunk on a prior transaction. And that's something that we do just to help remove some of that risk um, that clients might be nervous about on that inspection and appraisal at the same time. And, and I can't think of a time, Jenny, where we've had that issue where we've done rushed appraisals. Um, I'm sure there's probably been one deal in the last couple of years we've had that, but overall, like, you know, we, we don't have that issue. But that's always a legitimate concern. Some of our buyers have, okay, $1,400, it's a chunk of money. Yeah. And normally like to do it after the inspection. But hey, if we're in the fast market as we are in the springs, yeah. you got to act fast. Yeah. it's. I almost think about it like if, if you go down to Harley-Davidson and you want to buy a motorcycle and they've got a six-month waiting period, you put down your $500 deposit. And if you don't buy the car, you don't get the, or don't buy the motorcycle, you don't get that $500 back. Right, it's kind of the same thing. You've got to invest a little bit into the transaction. But assuming there's a high probability that you want to buy the property, that money goes right into the transaction and you don't need to worry about trying to get it back because again, would you rather buy the property or would you rather pay less for the appraisal? If you pay less for the appraisal, no problem. You can do that, but you're competing with everybody else in the general population. I think it's a great way to cut through the clutter. You do this a lot. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. You got to risk it to get the biscuit, as I say. And like sometimes, <laughs> Wait, what did you say? You got to risk it to get the biscuit. Yep. The biscuit's oh, the property. That is great. You know, you gotta, <laughs> if, if, if you're serious and you have no money in the bank, you're not serious. You got to have some cushion in the bank to risk it to possibly get the property. And again, paying double for an appraisal will bump up that probability of you actually getting the property. So I mean, you just gotta, yep. you gotta risk it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna borrow that saying. <laughs> That's a good one. I have a copyright. You can't do anything. Yeah. With well, it. then I Just expect kidding. a T-shirt with that slogan <laughs> on there. Catherine Gutierrez, 2020. <laughs> circa 2020. <laughs> I can get you a T-shirt. All right. What else do you guys want to so, know? Yeah, John, Catherine, can I can I ask one more question about delayed financing, and then we can kind of move on to to another topic? Um, I've heard that if somehow if the the buyer has uh, certain like rehab costs on their HUD statement in which title pays the contractor directly, that that can be incorporated within the delayed financing. What is that totally off mark or am I kind of on the right track with that? Would you be able to explain a little bit how, how that would work? Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't recommend that, but yeah, you could try doing that. Um, so what you're doing is you're putting your renovation costs as part of the purchase price. Um, I'm not sure you can get a seller to agree to it, but if you if you can, and that's part of what you pay for the property, um, yeah, you could do that. But delayed financing is for what you pay for the property. 
Um, but if the seller is willing to pay uh, a contractor to do work after the closing and then add that to the purchase price, um, mm-hmm. and so that's what you're paying in cash, I suppose you could do that, but I think you'd have a pretty large amount of risk doing it that way. So I wouldn't recommend it, but you can if you want to. Can, can you guys explain that situation? Because I, I followed it, but I'm trying to think of a situation where that would work. Like, what, tell us the situation, Denise, so me and yeah. the listeners can understand. Yeah, so uh, take, for instance, you buy a property and it's $100,000 and you find out that it needs $20,000 worth of structural repair. If you pay and you say, okay, I'm the buyer, I will go ahead and take care of that. But hey, seller, can we actually purchase this property for 120000 but at closing, can you pay the structural repair company the twenty k? Okay. I suppose you could. If I'm the seller, I'm not sure I would want to agree yeah. to that, but I suppose you could. You could pitch it, but I'm not sure who would sign off on that. Okay. And then when it comes out, let's say it goes through on the delayed financing, are you going to, I guess, since you're wrapped in the purchase price, you'd be using that 120 value? Correct. But then you still do an appraisal for the delayed financing, right? Correct. So it still has to appraise for that 120. It's got to appraise, yeah, for whatever okay. the new appraised value is. Um, if I'm the seller, let me tell you the reason why I'm not doing that. What if it comes back and it costs you $40,000 to do the structural repairs? And now you've got that I agreed to pay some dollar amount to a structural repair person. And now you come back three months later and say, hey, you know what? It cost us $40,000. Um, we want another $20,000 from you, Mr. Seller. Um, so if I'm the seller, there's no way I would, would mm. do that. But I suppose it's possible if you had a, a friendly seller. Yeah. I mean, there's, again, no one way to do something, but you got to like weigh the risk for sure. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you guys for, for clarifying that. Yeah. Uh, um, would you be able to touch upon some of the differences? This probably um, mostly pertains to those that are interested in house hacking and nomading. But my understanding is that there's different conforming loan limits between Colorado Springs and Denver. Could you guys touch upon that a little bit? Yeah. Um, this is Catherine, by the way, um, not Joe Massey. Um, but um, <laughs> but yeah, every county, uh, you know, every county, every state, every area has a different um, loan limit. So, you know, for example, I looked up Denver's loan limit um, is 575000 and Pueblo Spring is 510 400. So, I mean, every county is just a little bit different, um, you know, but again, like down in the Springs, 510, you get a bunch for that amount compared to Denver. Um, so, I mean, every county is different and you just, you know, it's easy for us to look it up. It doesn't change too often, does it? Like once a year, once a year, in nothing about, in about two weeks, in about two weeks. So, this might be a little bit different in two weeks, but again, it doesn't change dramatically. Um, but again, just give us a call or look it up yourself. Um, loan limits, um, make it really easy to look up. But yeah, it is a little bit different. Like again, Denver is 575, Pueblo Springs is 510. And let's uh, clarify, because that's for single family. Correct. And there's different elements for duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes, right? Yes, absolutely. So good point. Um, as I spoke, um, that's single family. So again, um, on that website, you could see um, duplex, triplex, fourplex amounts also change. So, mm-hmm. And those are, I mean, pretty significantly higher than the single family, right? Isn't Absol- Denver like in the Six- seven, 700s for a duplex? Yeah, for six- duplexes, I think it's 738. For a triplex is like 862. And a fourplex max loan limit is like a million sixteen. Do yeah. you know roughly what they are in the springs, Mm-mm. Catherine? I'm sorry, okay. I only looked up the single yeah. family. But again, um, easy for us to look up if you're curious about it. Are you guys doing a lot of multi-transactions, multi-family transactions in the springs? 
we're starting to pick up the yeah I, there's, there's some clients that are interested yeah i've been in that, seeing so. like a lot of um new build duplex triplex like again sure. the springs is trying to utilize the space that we have of course down there so i mean they're they're building for sure dupl i see a lot of duplexes like mm. coming soon so decently priced so i mean that they're there for sure great where you could buy both sides or you're just buying half of it both sides okay no oh, great yeah well, that's a big difference in denver that yeah. is yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because again right. it's a new bill so i mean ultimately yeah. you, you could choose one or both but it's a new bill so you could just yeah. decide what you would like to purchase got it very cool awesome um so another question that we have is for all things equal so if we pretend we have the same exact buyer would they be getting the same interest rates and costs if they bought one property in Denver and one property in Colorado Springs or, or do those differ between counties also? I want to say the cost um, definitely dependent on the property and then the property is like where. So I mean, the cost in Denver, I think is going to be a little bit higher than the Springs just because the value is higher in, in Denver than the Springs. Um, but I mean, as lenders here at Castle and Cook Mortgage, we have flat fees that don't fluctuate with the loan amount. Some lenders do. So, I mean, that's a factor that you need to ask. Um, but ultimately, the cost depends on the property and where the property is. Yeah, the loan costs are going to be the same. Exact yeah. same interest rates, exact same cost to process the transaction. But uh, you may have higher taxes or higher homeowners insurance in one part of town. But as far as the cost for the loan, it's exactly the same for exactly. us. Exactly. And when you say loan cost, I mean, I think most of our listeners are familiar with their spreadsheet, Joe. Mm -hmm. You know, in the first part of the inputs tab, mm -hmm. there's the, I think it says loan cost, yep. 1540 is exactly right. Yeah, charge, so that's the loan cost you guys are talking about, right? anywhere in the state of Colorado. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the costs are the, sa are the same no matter what, but again, other factors, taxes and insurance, like Joe said, may fluctuate depending on where the property is. Yep. And that's going to be different. I mean, a property across the street. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every mm -hmm. property is going to be unique on that. Right. Great. Um, so you guys kind of already answered it in this last, in the last question, but uh, are lenders licensed by state? Because we get a lot of questions as to whether someone's lender in Denver can also help them down the springs and we're hoping that you guys could, could maybe fill in the blanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. So it is per state. Um, so, you know, Joe um, does have a few under his belt, but it can, again, he's a branch manager that covers a, you know, a variety of um, the country. But, um, but like me, I'm licensed in Colorado, work in the Springs. So again, you don't need to be a specialized license, this or that for a different city. But again, a lot of people prefer their local knowledge. I mean, paper works a little bit different than the Springs and the Denver. So, I mean, it's good to have that knowledge. So you don't need anything special certificate wise, but licenses per state. Yep. And then I always recommend if we have clients that are looking at Colorado Springs, I always recommend they work with Catherine because she's got that that local experience right there. Certainly I could do their loan, um, but I tell them, hey, she's right there. She's going to meet with you face to face to go over all of your information. You know, she's really your local expert. Awesome. So then kind of jumping gears, so more of the analysis side of things when people have a property under contract and, and they're speaking to their lender and their lender presents them with interest rate buy-down option. Um, what do you all typically recommend that buyers do to calculate whether it's worth it or not to, to buy down their rate? Um, I think I would find out how long they're planning to keep the property and you know how much money are they planning to invest. Um, I think spending additional money up front, if you're planning to keep the property for the long term, almost always makes sense. 
whether that is paying additional points, whether it's paying upfront mortgage insurance. Um, but if you're planning to keep the property for a short period of time, I would recommend paying uh, less in your upfront costs. You really want to you know, weigh the decision between the two of how much is this going to save me on a monthly basis versus how much is it going to cost me upfront? And then how long am I planning to keep the property? Am I going to break even on this in three years? And I'm planning to keep the property for 10 years? Yeah, it makes more sense to spend more money upfront. However, just because it makes sense mathematically to spend money up front, maybe I need that money to renovate the property. Maybe I need an additional $5,000 to furnish the property if I'm planning to do a furnished rental, right? So maybe it doesn't make sense to spend that additional money if I need the cash today. So we really have to speak to each client individually to find out what's their long and short-term goals with it. That's great. So kind of also on the same vein, how do you guys calculate if you have a current rental property, how does that come into play for calculating uh, a buyer's ability to qualify for additional rental properties to purchase? And how many can one buyer buy? Yeah, we'll help you finance up to 10 investment properties. And that uh, existing rental, it's real easy. We just look at the tax returns. How much money are you claiming on the property? If you're making money, great. That's profit. If you're losing money, that's an expense. And do you have other income to offset that expense? So you said taxes. Mm-hmm. Do, you, so, do you pay your taxes? <laughs> I pay my taxes. But I'm saying this is something we do talk about that I want to highlight here because yeah. a lot of times we're like, oh, well, I don't, you know, hey, they pay me cash, so oh. I don't report my tax returns. Mm. <clears throat> well, that's, you know, great for the investor standpoint, but when it trickles up to you guys, what do you see? Uh, we want to look at your taxes. <clears throat> yeah. I have no way. you. If you're collecting cash, that's terrific, but you might, you, sir, might be a street pharmacist. Right. And that is not (laughs) something that I can give you a loan on your street pharmacy income. Uh, So I've got to see what are you putting on your tax returns? That is the verifiable income that we can use. Uh, Remember that old movie, uh, A Few Good Men, where they talk about it's it's not what I believe. It's what I can prove. That is a big part of what we do here at Lending. It's not what I believe. Chris, I believe that you make $10,000 a month on this rental property, but I can only use what I can prove that you make. And your tax returns are the basis of proof that we can use to show how much money you have coming in on that property. So what about, um, because you said you look at taxes and if it's profitable, and I hear sometimes reference in lending that they can use 75% of the rents. Is that a different rule or is that the same rule you're talking about? Yeah, so we use 100% of the rents that you're claiming on your tax returns. So if you say that property rents out for uh, $1,000 a month, great, we give you credit for $1,000 a month minus whatever expenses you're claiming on your tax returns. Now, if this is a new property that you have not claimed on your tax returns yet, for example, you're vacating property A to go buy property B, and you're going to rent out property A, great. We don't know what the expenses are going to be. So we're going to give you credit for that $1,000 a month in rent minus 25% for estimated expenses, which might be utilities, maintenance, vacancy, property management. Who knows what those expenses are going to be? Be about 25%. So $1,000 in rent minus 25% expenses equals $750 a month net rent minus the mortgage payment. So if I don't have the place, you know, if I'm moving out, where are you getting $1,000 from to estimate the rent? Is that a number you're coming up or are you getting a signed lease from me? I'm going to need a copy of that signed lease and that initial security deposit check to show that lease is in force. Okay. So that's where that 75% rule comes in then for it, say, when it's a new rental property. That's exactly right. That's the rule of thumb you guys use? Okay. That's exactly right. You got it. 
Good, because I've gotten confused that in the past for sure. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people worry about that. They're like, why won't my lender give me credit for all my rents? I'm like, give me a call. We'll give you credit for all your rents. Yeah. We do it every day. <laughs> yep. Credit, not receipts, tax returns. That's like, right. We just need proof. Like you just got to prove it. Yeah. That's not what I believe you rent it for, <laughs> Mr. Collecting Cash. <laughs> and I think we always get the question also of, LLC versus personal name. Oh, man. I've never had that question. I've never heard this. What is this, Jenny? I've never heard this. I think Chris has a plug-in link to that one podcast. Yeah, I think we we recorded a podcast with with, um, Peter McFarlane. Peter McFarlane, thank you. That was a great podcast. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's pros and cons. If you want to take out a loan in an LLC, terrific. I think a commercial transaction is a great option. It's going to have a slightly higher rate, shorter term, slightly higher monthly payment. It's going to be a little bit more difficult to cash flow but it gives you that protection that you're looking for. Um, I think that makes a ton of sense. And what is a commercial loan? A commercial loan is exactly that. It is a loan to an entity, not to an individual for commercial purposes. Um, So you're gonna be getting a loan to your LLC, um, and then you're using that loan for commercial purposes to purchase that property as a a business. And the biggest thing I've noticed is that, um, you know, those usually, they're they're adjustable rate mortgages. They're Mm -hmm. gonna have a fixed rate for five, seven, or 10 years, what we've seen for our clients. That's yeah. pretty if, typical, If right? you're lucky, seven or 10, most, it's three to five. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. that's what I that's what I generally see for commercial finance, but it depends. Yeah. You know, if you have a brand new LLC um, with no history and you are looking for a 10-year fixed, I think you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find that. Mm. Yeah, and then again, in Castle and Cook Mortgage does not do commercial yep. lending. Yep. Yeah. And, and real note? common that people call us up, I'm like, hey, you're going to have to put this property in your personal name. Nope, I'm not doing that. I want to do it in my LLC. Awesome. Mm-hmm. About a month or two months later, they'll call back and they're super frustrated with all the commercial lending experience. And they'll say, well, Joe, this just doesn't make sense to do it in my LLC. I'm like, okay, great. What's your name? What's your social? Um, <laughs> let's get started. Uh, you know, So we kind of let clients go through that self-realization rather than trying to convince them um, you, you know, I like for clients to, to, you know, listen to the podcast, learn everything we're talking about, but for them, sometimes it's important to, to do that, uh, education piece of, uh, what it's like to actually get a loan in your LLC. And, and, and I've done it. I've done it on the personal side. Um, I did do commercial financing early in my career. Um, so I understand all aspects of it and I can assure you if you're looking for the best possible terms, it's going to need to be in your personal name, your personal credit, your personal social security number. And if you guys want the details on there, because it was a really good, but a 30 minute podcast that was me, Joe and, and Peter, Peter. Yeah. But it was a really year, good. year and ago, a I year, know. year and a half ago, go yeah. to denverinvestmentrealestate.com slash LLC. Yep. And we'll try to put in the show notes, but if you can't just go to the website and put LLC on the end yeah. or email one of us, we're happy to get you a link as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Great question. That was a great show. Awesome. Well, that's pretty much highlighting all of the the questions that we received from our our clients uh, in regards to high level overview of lending. Um, Is there anything that you think that people should be aware of uh, as they start to pursue their lenders? um, Things to look out for anything that any words of advice that you could give to our clients? Yeah, I think the most important thing is, you know, go through a detailed application with your lender. Um, One of the big things that I see people fail is they'll call us. They're like, Joe, I have been working with XYZ lender for three months and you know, got under contract and they gave me just a basic pre-qualification letter. And now they're telling me they, they just pulled my credit and they can't give me a new loan. 
I'm like, wow, what what happened? What what got added to your credit report? Well, I didn't know my score. I didn't know this, didn't know that. Um, and I say, you know, one of the most important things that we're going to do, we're not going to give you that pre-approval letter without your credit report, without your paycheck stubs, without your tax returns, because we don't want to put you in that position where you're going out looking at a property and don't realize that you can't buy it. And so an important stat, uh, 72% of people get pre-approved and then actually end up closing with their lender. 28% of people get pre-approved and are turned down by their lender at some point after going under contract. So Wait, think about that. Say guys. that again. Almost a third, 28% of people get pre-approved by the mortgage industry and are turned down after going under contract. So think about that. that 28%. That is almost a third of people that get pre-approved that think, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We can pack. We can get ready to buy this house. And they are turned down by their lender at a later date. All right. Now that comes from a number of reasons, but the most common reason is the lender not having all the information from the client, not doing their homework up front. Here at Castle & Cook Mortgage, we have a 100% pre-approval track record. What that means is 100% of the people that I have given a pre-approval letter to, we are able to close their transaction. Now, it might cancel on inspection or maybe they can't find the house they want, right? But that's not your fault. That's not my issue, right? Once they go under contract, I have never called a client back and said, you know what, Mr. Client, you were pre-approved. I'm sorry, now you're not. That's not what we do here, which is why we ask for all that information up front. It's right on the back of Catherine's business card. Two paycheck stubs, two W-2s, two years tax returns, two months monthly bank statements. Um, where's your down payment coming from? If you've been divorced, bankruptcy, foreclosure, any of this information, we're going to need to know about it so that we can give you that true 100% answer up front so that when Jenny or Chris or one of Chris's team takes you out to look at a property, you know that you're shopping with confidence, that you have, if if you're looking for a $500,000 home and we've told you you're pre-approved for a $500,000 purchase price with you know 20% down, so you're getting a $400,000 loan from us you know that we're going to give you that $400,000 to buy that property because we've asked a lot of hard questions. We've gone through a lot of personal questions and and gathered all of your information up front, which I think is a critical piece. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Again, we want to hear the full story. So again, we could feel confident by giving you that 100% pre-approval letter and just feel confident with it. Yep. And something that, uh, you know, as I talk to clients and especially a lot of times, you know, they are, they are, you know, six months, nine months out from buying their property, like, hey, should I get a pre-approval? And I was like, well, you know, in the ideal world, yes, you should. Mm -hmm. And like, well, I want to kind of, you know, call lender and run some scenarios by them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I get that. But here's a problem is that you were telling information and then, but they're not getting the actual Im information to verify, so they usually can't give you a legitimate answer. I know you guys are, are pretty strict about that because yeah. you've told me, I think the word you use is that, you know, you give certainty, mm -hmm. and the way you give certainty is by, hey, give me all your documents. Yeah. So when people want to just float ideas by you, I mean, is that a, do you do that or do you require all the documentation to get the complete picture? I'm happy to float ideas as long as we all understand it's going to be different once we get the complete picture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can, you can have all the hypothetical conversations you want, but you got to understand once we look at your information, all those hypotheticals go completely out the window. And now we're going to talk about what it's like for you to really buy a house. And so if you want to have hypotheticals, great. We'll do that all day long, but you just got to understand that when it comes time to buy a property, you're starting back over from square one. So I would encourage you, if you're serious about buying a property, to not have hypotheticals. 
to provide the information to your lender, whether it's me, whether it's Catherine, whether it's, it's anybody else, give them all the information so they can answer your real questions for what you can really do. What about if they're six months out and they want their credit pulled because pulling their credit's going to yeah. screw things up? Yeah. If you pull your credit, it's going to decrease your score by three points. And if a, a decrease of your score of three points, six months from when you're ready to buy a house, if that's the thing that's going to prevent you from buying a new house, I think you're too close to the margins and you shouldn't be thinking about buying a house anyways. What All do you right. think, Catherine? Yeah, absolutely. If you're already like on the edge and cutting it tight and saving every penny you can and that makes you nervous, you're not quite ready yet and maybe just wait six more months until you feel better about your position, pull credit and know exactly what you could do at that moment. Also, if you're right on the edge, all the more reason we should pull credit if you're six months out so we can tell you what problems you have and what you can work on to improve into the future. Yeah. So I know people are hesitant. Oh, well, I'm six months out, so I'll just wait. It's like, well, what happens if if we pull credit when you're actually ready, then there's like a red flag on there that you had no idea about, and it takes you six months to actually fix it. Yeah. So at least you know now versus when you're actually ready to rock and roll, but you can't now. That's right. So, I've seen I've seen it happen hundreds yeah. of times. I don't want my credit pulled because my credit's great. Okay, great. We wait until they find the property. We pull their credit. You have a $10,000 collection out there from an apartment six years ago. Are they still actively collecting on that? Well, yeah, but I, I didn't think that would make an impact. It's a $10,000 judgment, man. Yeah. So you it's know? not all about just the credit score. It's the line items on there, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you have 800. Great. But let me just scroll down here. You have a couple of collections on that. We can't help you right. at that moment. Or, or you've got to fix those before yeah. you can close. Would you rather know six months in advance to fix those items? Or do you want to have to do that right when you're under the gun? Yeah, yeah. I always like the idea of pulling things up front because I want to know what issues I need to deal with. Exactly. But that's exactly. my thing is I, I like to have, I like to be slow and be like, hey, cool, I got time. Let me figure this stuff out now because then I can call the right people. Or, you know, I think back to, um, this was years ago with my wife we were, I think, refinancing our student loans or something, uh, or something, I don't know, something like that. Now, not buying a house, but then, you know, some stupid dish TV collections from exactly. like, you know, a common house with like three roommates yeah. from like five somebody, years somebody ago. Somebody didn't take the cable box. Somebody exactly. paid the, the final $100 that was on there. And it's like, well, we, it, it took three months to clean it up. Exactly. But that was a huge thing that like dinged her credit yep. and, and caused some issues. And it was like, that is a, a stupid thing, but we had to deal with it. Yeah. And I'm glad we were, you know, upfront and not like under the gun, but it's those type of things that those catch things off there. guard. Those things are out there. Yeah. They're real. If you've ever had CenturyLink, Verizon, and you didn't take the equipment back, there's a collection out there. And if you did take the equipment back, there's still a chance there's a collection out there. <laughs> you know, you need to look at that stuff and be aware of it because it can make an impact when it comes time to buy a home. Can I throw you guys a curveball question here? Sure. Totally. I, I get this question um, with house hackers. Um, you know, because obviously, as you guys know, everyone, you know, the, the Burr strategy is an amazing strategy to go out there and buy properties because mm-hmm. you can recycle capital. Mm-hmm. As we said numerous times, it's very hard to do in our current market conditions. But for house hackers and nomads who are buying owner-occupied properties, you know, with a 5% down property, they want to go in there, buy a property, you know, add some value, then hopefully before they move out the next property, put a HELOC on there or do a cash-out refi to pull some equity out. Mm-hmm. So walk us through the rough timeline on there and how much equity they need to increase to actually be able to pull out cash. Yeah. So if you want to take cash out of the property, number one, A, you have to have owned it for at least six months. Then you can take cash out. And then when you do that loan, you now have to live in the property for a minimum of 12 months. All right. So let's just say I bought a property. I've lived there for six months. The value has increased, you know, XYZ dollars. I'm now doing a cash out loan or I'm doing a home equity line of credit to take cash out of that. 
part of the agreement that I'm signing in that new loan is this is my primary residence and I'm going to occupy the property for a minimum of 12 months. All right. So now I've been there for six months. Now I've got to occupy it for another 12. Then I can qualify for my next loan. So that's A, I've got to make sure that I'm comfortable being in the home for 18 months from day one until you know the next property. And then number two, a cash out refinance. We can help you finance up to 80% of your primary residence value. So if you buy the property and you put 5% down, well, let's just do the math. We buy a $500,000 home and we put 5% down. So that's a $475,000 loan. And then we want to take cash out above that. How much do we think cash we would want? 50000 uh, I mean, enough to buy the next place, do some stuff. Yeah, 50 grand. All right. So let's take 475 plus 50. That's going to be a new 525 loan amount. Let's divide that by 0.8 because that's going to be 80%. I believe that's going to be what, right around 650? Did I, did I get that right? 656? 656. <laughs> All right. So I'm buying a property today for 500. In six months, it's got to go up to 656000 for me to have at least enough room to take $50,000 of equity out of the cash out loan. Is that doable in today's market? Uh, it's extremely, extremely <laughs> Six tough. Six months. That's tough. That's tough. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know we don't do many of those in Denver, like zero. What about down there, Jenny? Yeah, in, in the spring. Uh, do you, definitely do you, not. Do you don't see properties appreciate $150,000 in the first six I months? wish, but not quite. No. <laughs> thank you, because I, I wanted to really understand the math. So, because there's actually two things. You can do the cash out refinance as a owner-occupant, which gives you that recess to 12-month clock. Yep. Or couldn't you also do an investment property loan so you can move out sooner? That's exactly right. You could do a new investment property loan, which allows you to borrow up to 75% for cash out. So let's do the same thing. We'd so 475. 475 plus 50 divided by 0. 0.75 is going to be pretty close to 700, like 685. Oh, 700. 700. Yeah, you there it. you go. So $700,000. So if I want to take cash out after six months, convert that to an investment property, and then use that cash to move out, you know, on month number seven because I've got now got an investment property loan. That property has still gone from five hundred thousand to seven hundred thousand dollars for me to have enough equity to do that. Now that doesn't happen here in Denver in the springs, Jenny. What do you think? <laughs> Definitely it's, not. It's getting hot down there, but it not is that getting hot. hot. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and whether I mean aside from the market appreciation, like to find deals with that much meat on the bones, especially if you're coming with a five percent down owner occupant loan. <laughs> is very, very, very hard to do. I know a handful of professional investors that can find transactions yeah. with that much spread in them. Define a professional investor. When you say that, what, what does that mean? Um, the guys that I'm describing do greater than 100 transactions a year. Yeah. I mean, and they have businesses with employees mm -hmm. and marketing campaigns and like overhead, right? Correct. They're not a brand new person just trying to buy one property. Correct. Yeah. These are these are pros. These, and, yeah. these are guys that like you watch you watch the uh, shows on TV, HGTV. These are guys that don't go on TV because they do so many properties, they don't have time to do TV shows. They're more successful than the people you see on TV. Yeah. So that's who you're competing with if that's the the strategy you're trying to to do. All right. Well, now since we've burst a lot of people's bubble or balloon bubble, because I, I have this conversation like I mean like two or three times a yeah. week. Yeah. Um. And so I want to get the exact details from you guys, and also your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's not realistic for yeah. a property to appreciate like that. Yeah. And then like Joe was kind of talking earlier, like what the client needs to prepare for, you know, giving their information to the lender, but also the client needs to ask the lender too. 
Do you work with investors? Do you just do primary homes? Because that's kind of a different mindset. Like um, we work with investors all the time. We're not going to clear out someone's savings to buy this perfect investment property when we know they want to buy three, four, five more properties. That's right. So you know you got to do your homework too. I mean, even if you're a new investor, maybe it's a little intimidating to ask the other lender as a professional questions. But hey, what do you do? What's your turn times? Do you do this all the time? You got to do your homework too. Not, I mean. Hopefully you do trust your professional lender, but I mean, you need to ask them questions too of do they do this every day to make sure you're in the right hands too. Oh, a huge source of business for us. 20% of our business um, is people that have been turned down by another lender um, after getting under contract. Yeah, so they call like, rescue deals. They, they call up and they're in a panic <laughs> because, oh my God, XYZ lender promised me the world. And what do you know? Now they can't do it. Joe, can you help? Yes, we can. Um, you know, but we, you know, we need all the information. And where did you go wrong? Well, a lot of times it went wrong. The lender doesn't know how to do investment properties. The lender doesn't yeah. know, doesn't have the specific program for what they want, that there just wasn't upfront clarity between the investor or the, the buyer and the lender happens frequently. Yeah, I think that just sort of proves the point that, uh, you know, you always hear people talking about building their team. Um, So a lender is such a crucial component to having a long-term business relationship uh, so that you can grow your portfolio to where where you're hoping it will go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what else can we answer for you guys? You haven't stumped us yet. Is that a challenge? I didn't have right. to phone a friend. Do you have to phone a friend? Uh, where's my cell? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Actually, one last thing to talk about this, because um, this is something that, you know, Jenny and I talk about a lot as we're, you know, getting clients geared up to buy a place. Um, I mean, obviously, lending and rates have changed post-COVID, you know, mm-hmm. back in March or April. Um, went choppy, then rates went low. Yeah. But also... Um, to what politely, some lenders have shined during this time, and a lot of lenders have crashed. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, I mean, the issue we've had, I mean, Jenny, you've had a couple uh, couple deals that have kept us all very stressful, where <laughs> lenders, you know, and the way it works is, you know, we we write, we all use a state's insurance contract here in Colorado, rewrite our contracts, and usually kind of the final termination points of the contract are usually around financing and lending. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so you want to make sure that final underwriting and this after in a contract, everything goes to the fund earning is good uh, because once you're past that last deadline of financing, your earnest money is hard, meaning that, hey, if the, if the deal falls apart, whether because you don't want it or because the lenders can't come through, your earnest money is what we call hard, meaning it's it's non-refundable and it's the, the, the right of the seller to keep it um, for the deal falling through. And we've had a couple of times where lenders are like, oh, yeah, we can hit this deadline. I'll just say, hey, we can hit the 25th for argument's sake. And then, you know, the morning the 25th, like, hey, I need a few, a few more days. We're like, dude. No, we can't. And then the sellers know like, hey, this is something you can't do last minute. And we've had clients for, hey, for days or weeks, the earnest money has been hard and mm-hmm. unprotected, which has caused, I think, both of us some gray hairs, Jenny, and, and some of our other team. Um, but why are so many lenders having a hard time hitting dates and deadlines now? Because it wasn't a major issue and then COVID happened and it's be- we've had to cross off some of our lenders or some you know clients they've used, lenders have used in the past or, or family, friends and things like that. Um, and the the deals have not gone ideally, to put it as politely as I can. And I want to be clear: I don't fall into <laughs> no, we do not fall into this bucket. This is one of the things I often tell people: like, hey, this is one of the reasons why, like, you should talk to to Joe and Catherine because yeah. they just they don't screw it up. They haven't missed a date and deadline. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and like and like Joe always says, like even before COVID, you partake or you don't partake in the pandemic or whatever shit shows going on in the world. Like you. Mm-hmm. 
have your ducks in a row. We have a streamlined process always. So again, when the craziness happens, we're still doing our job. We're still meeting the appropriate deadlines. We still get um, clear to closes 19, 21 days, no matter what. Like sure, working from home, you know, it's it's crazy. But I mean, we still have our process. We still have our checklist to continue to satisfy all, all of our, everything that we have ever promised. So, yeah. and, and I do want to very much clarify that you guys have have, have your act together in your process. But that's that's one of the things, like I say, hey, they, they have a machine and the yep. machine works. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's often the, the description I use. But why were you guys or why are you guys able to not miss a beat and miss some dates and deadlines? Like a um, couple of reasons. Number one, this is my first pandemic, but this is not my first market cycle. Exactly. Right. Um, and we got on a lot of phone calls when we were all working from home back in March and April and everybody thought the world was coming to an end. And I would get my whole team on the phone or on, on zoom. And I'd say, hey, raise your hand if you're nervous and everybody would put their hand up. Yep. So, you know, who's not nervous me, you know why I've done this before. Right. I know what I'm doing. I know how to go through a choppy market cycle. I know how to go through an uncertain market cycle and I know how to handle these things. We know how to staff appropriately. We know how to man- maintain and manage our underwriting team, our closing team, our funding team. And that's not just me. That is the people that I work with on my executive team that they've done it before too. And so an important point to understand is the average experience of a loan officer, a person with my job, average experience in the industry is three years. All right. I've been doing this for 18 19. years now, 19, almost 19, 19, 18, 19 years. I've been through, I went through the original refi boom in the early 2000s. I went through the, well, I don't even remember what it was called, the mortgage bust in 2008, 9, 10. Um, we've gone through COVID. We've gone through tight inventory since 2012. If anybody wants to go back and look at the stats, look at March 15th, 2012. That's the day we went from a buyer's market to a seller's market. Mm. We adapted. Um, I've been through it. Right. So that's for, you know, fear of sounding really uh, know it all. Um, I've done it before. Right. Yeah. And so that's why for our team, I got every, and not everybody on my team had. Right. I got my guys on the phone. I said, all right, who's nervous? Everybody. Okay. I know y'all haven't done this before, but I have. I'm going to need you to follow what I say, do what I say, and trust me and trust the process. And our business is up 40% this year. And guess how many dates we've missed? Zero. We've not missed one date for a closing, not one date for a deadline. We've never in my career had a single client lose a dollar of earnest money. And we still maintain our 100% pre-approval track record because we ask those tough questions up front. Where are you working? How much money do you make? Are you in forbearance on your current mortgage? Mm-hmm. Has your spouse had their income cut? How has the pandemic affected you, Mr. and Mrs. Client? Um, We need to know this information so that I can give you the solid answers and make sure that you're going to get to the closing and take all the stress away, right? I understand there's, there's stress buying a home. There's stress getting a loan. That's why we you know, take you through a lot of information to make sure we can remove as much of that stress as possible. So that's, that's the difference between us and, and other companies. And I hear what you're saying. A yeah. lot of people are calling me, oh my God, Joe, I can't close because of this, because of that. Can you help? Yeah, we can help. So yeah. give us a call. And we like to highlight too, like we had, you know, company meetings and masterminds throughout the pandemic. And we tried to highlight, don't let them tell you, oh, you know, the pandemic, that's why we're like, you know, a few weeks behind. That's not, don't accept that. That's not, that's just them saying, oh, sorry, we don't have our stuff together. We can't help you out as quickly as we thought. So, I mean, just making sure you, you know, you have a good team on your, on your shoulders, again, good agent, good lender to make mm-hmm. sure you do have a smooth transaction, even during these crazy times. Cause right now is the best time to buy everyone else. Just 
doesn't want to jump on the train like us. Yeah. And yeah, I appreciate that because I mean, we, uh, obviously, you know, we, we have our internal meetings with deals and our, our, our staff and everything. And, and, you know, we've had someone say that we're like, we're in the same damn, pan- yeah. same damn pandemic. I don't give a damn. We're not screwing up. We yeah. expect the same thing from you. Like exactly. we're not using an excuse. Like that's the ex- it's just yeah. the latest yeah. excuse. Mm-hmm. Right. Why can't you do this? Oh, cause oh. COVID. I hate that yeah. answer. You know what? God, yeah. unless you have it, or unless you're a healthcare worker, it should not be affecting your business. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, case- I guess that's not true for hospitality, for our yeah. business, right? It should not be impacting your business. But if someone does get it, there's redundancy in place. That's right. Exactly. I've had- that's something we have. We tell our clients, hey, if one of us gets it, which we've had a couple team members get it, like yep. it, it stinks, but they go quarantine and a few other people have to self-quarantine and expose. Figure and then. Yep. But the machine keeps running, just that's like right. you guys. So yeah. That's right. Yeah. So thank you guys. I appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, just to chime in too, like, like as Joe's touched on, like we can, we have a streamlined process, but then also being a direct lender, having everything in house, like everything is under our control. Not oh, we're waiting for the third party to get back to us or whatever. Like yeah. we, we don't have that hurdle. Everything is like down the hall, a phone call away. We know everyone that we work with um, personally, so it's like easy to be like, hey, help me out real quick. Or it's just everything's in house and just makes things smooth all the time. Yeah, yeah. that's right. All right. Well, I know I didn't stump you, but those are just yeah. some more current event questions, which totally. are very timely. Totally and those are real questions. These yeah. are the real things going on in the market. Yeah. Jenny, that that's that's the end of the questions I have. I think you're out too, right? Yep, I'm out. All right. I really appreciate all your answers and, and commentary and helping our, our buyers sort of understand the overarching process. Yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having us on. You know, anything you need down in Colorado Springs, obviously, Catherine is your gal. She'll help you with anything you guys need there. You're always welcome to call me. And, you know, if you're down in that Colorado Springs area code, I'll make sure to connect you with Catherine. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And we'll, we'll put your guys' contact details in the show notes. Cool. Awesome. Um, Thank you. Of course. And then, again, for that LLC question that comes up, like, a All lot. The time. That will, you know, go to the website slash LLC. It's on there. Other mm-hmm. questions, reach out to me, reach out to Jenny, reach out to you guys. So we appreciate it. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you, guys. guys.